Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. I'm going to begin, and I got to get started because I got a whole lot more than I can preach tonight. But uh, I'm going to talk a, a little bit about the past tense of the gospel. Have you ever heard about the past tense of the gospel? Well, there's a past tense of the scripture. There's a past tense of the gospel. You see, the Bible says in John 19, verse 30, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Amen? So when you begin to understand uh, what happened there on the cross, you begin to understand that redemption has already been paid for. Praise God, the price has already been paid. It's already been finished. And in one sense of the word, when you begin to understand that, you begin to understand that in one sense of the word, God's already saved everybody he's going to save. He's already healed everybody he's going to heal. He's already delivered everybody he's going to deliver. That's in one sense of the word. Now, I, it can be confusing because, you know, we, we still sing songs about he's still healing today, and he still is. Amen? And I'm going to try to explain a little bit of that if I get to it. Amen? But I want you to know that redemption is paid for. I want you to know that Jesus finished it. Jesus paid for it. It's a complete thing in the eyes of God the Father. And as far as what God promised, Jesus paid for, it's already done. Here's another example. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has past tense. If you read it closely in the King James Version, it says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Amen? And he goes on and says that, or so that, in verse 14, you could put the word so in there, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Really, the blessing of Abraham is this. When you're born again, you have the Spirit of Christ in you, and you are already blessed. Amen. When you begin to understand this past tense of the gospel, it will help you receive a lot better from God because a lot of people are still trying to get God to move and I still do believe that God moves but I believe it's God the Holy Spirit that is moving on the earth today. You see, I, I believe that Jesus already paid the price. He already finished the work. He already completed the deal and as far as redemption is concerned, it is a finished thing. It is finished. Jesus said, Praise God. And Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath, past tense, redeemed us from the curse of the law. So I've already been redeemed from the curse. So why are you letting it hang around? Because really when you understand what the curse includes, there's a lot of people letting a lot of the curse hang around. Amen? Because they're still trying to get what God's already done. Now let me give you another scripture. Another scripture that talks about this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Amen? So in one sense of the word, in one sense of the word, God has already healed every person that he's going to heal. 
God's already saved every person that he's going to save in one sense of the word. Because Jesus doesn't have to go to the cross again to pay for your forgiveness. And when you come up and ask God to forgive you for your sins, God's already paid for them. He was just waiting for you to ask. He was just waiting for you to come and receive what he's already done. And if you really understand healing and forgiveness, at the same time Jesus paid for your forgiveness, he paid for your healing. Amen. In Jesus' day, people, people weren't, when Jesus healed people, people weren't getting upset about as a whole. Now, some of the religious people got mad when Jesus healed on the Sabbath day, but most of the time people weren't questioning his power to heal. But they did question his power to forgive. Right? You remember in Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, uh, the man they let down through the roof. And Jesus said, Cheer up, your sins are forgiven. And they said, uh, who is this that's forgiven sin? Right, the place was so full of religious people, right, somebody trying to get something was having a hard time getting into the meeting. Right, so Jesus said, cheer up, your sins are forgiven. I'm sure the guys that brought him said, no, Jesus, we brought him down here to get healed. What are you talking about forgiveness for? But if you don't understand forgiveness of sin and that you're already forgiven, it's going to be hard for you to receive Right? The righteousness, the, the healing power of God. Then Jesus says to them, right? He, he knows what they're thinking. He says, well, what's it harder to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up, take up your bed and walk. That you might know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, sick of the palsy, get up, take up your bed and go to your house. And he went home healed. You can read about it, right? Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, and Luke chapter 5 or 6. I think it's Luke chapter 5. Praise God. So you can read about that. So, there, but there is a... There's a past tense as far as when Jesus paid for things on the cross, it was completed, it was done, it was finished. He doesn't have to go to the cross, he doesn't have to shed his blood for your forgiveness, and he doesn't have to take stripes for your healing, it's already paid for. But there's also a present tense move of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And the Holy Spirit is still moving on the earth. And we need the move of the Holy Spirit. I'll be the first to say that we need the move of the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk a little bit about redemption tonight, the promise, price, and power of redemption. Let's turn to Isaiah 59. I'm going to read verse 20, and then we're going to be, go back and read verse 16 to verse 21. It says in Isaiah chapter 59, and I got a ton of scriptures tonight. The Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. That is the promise of redemption. Zion was a hill in Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit was poured out. You can, you can look at it. It's where the church was born. So prophetically, it speaks of the church, but it also speaks of Israel. Now let's go back and let's read some things. Beginning in verse 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. How many of you know there's a lot of people trying to stand in a gap that Jesus already bridged? A lot of people are going back to try to do an Old Testament thing that's already been completed in the New Testament. So it says here, he, um, 
He wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness. It sustained him for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Now, when you begin to look at that, who is the arm of the Lord? The arm of the Lord is, is the arm of the Lord shortened that he cannot save? The arm of the Lord's really speaking about Jesus. And so what he's saying is that he saw there was no man, so Jesus is the one who made intercession for us. In fact, the Bible actually says that he ever lives to make intercession for those of us who come to God by him. For us to intercede today, what the scripture means when we pray prayers of intercession just means to go to God on the behalf of your brother or your sister. But we are not in any way taking the place of Jesus. Amen. And there's a whole lot I could go into I'm not going to. But he says he put on righteousness as Jesus did for us what we could never do. And the helmet salvation, Jesus did it. According to their deeds, according to he'll repeat, pay fury to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the islands he'll repay repayment. Notice verse 19, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. How many of you are glad that's still true? When the enemy tries to come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and those who turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you, and my words which I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, nor the mouth of your seed, nor the mouth of your seed, seed saith the Lord, from now on and forever. So we're talking about the promise the price, and the power of redemption. So we see in verse 20 plainly the promise of redemption. It says the Redeemer shall come to Zion. And then we see as we look at this, we see the price of redemption. It says in verse 16, his arm brought salvation and his righteousness it sustained him. Verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate in the helmet of salvation. That's plainly talking about Jesus. Jesus did for us what we could never do. Jesus paid the price of redemption. So the Father promised it. Jesus paid for it. But the Holy Spirit gives us the power to receive it. And we see that the power, he talks about, you know, when, when the enemy comes in like a flood, my spirit was going to raise up a standard against him. And then he says, this my covenant is with them, says the Lord, and my spirit is on you. So, so the spirit's on us to perform the covenant. Amen. I hope I'm making sense. I hope I'll make more sense as we go through this. So as we study the Bible, there are many, many, many promises of redemption. I'm just going to read a few of them. I like this one in Job. Now, Job, depending on who you read, Job arguably is the oldest of the Scriptures, but some people have different opinions, and I'm not going to argue with them, okay? <laughs> and I, I'm sure they have some reasons to say that. Other people have reasons they say but I want to go to this scripture to me, which is a promise of redemption. It's actually a promise of the uh, resurrection. And it, it really came alive to me this last year. Uh, I had one of my good friends go home to be with Jesus. 
And uh, this, this, this word came alive to me in Job 19, verse 25 to 27. He says, for I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will stand at the latter day on the earth. How many of you are glad Jesus is alive? How many of you are glad that Jesus is coming again? Amen. So Job saw this. Whenever Job saw it, amen, he saw it. And, and he said, and though after my skin worms destroy this body what happens if your body dies it goes to the dust right so if I die don't come cry over that hole in the ground now I'm not planning on checking out early okay amen because I'm not there if I die as a believer my spirit and my soul went to be with God and with Christ and my body's going to go to dust if it sits around here long enough but when Jesus comes again, notice what he says. Though my, after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh, God's going to give me a new body. I'm going to see God, who I will see for myself, and my eyes will behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. So that's a promise of redemption and the, and the resurrection of the body. Now, here, here's, a, here's a great promise of redemption. And in Psalm chapter 49, now Psalms were written about 1,000 B.C. That's about the time of King David. So Psalm 49, now this is a great uh, psalm talking about redemption. In Psalm 46, we're going to start reading in verse 6. This is one we're going to read a, a few, or Psalm 49, excuse me, verse 6. And we'll read on down through verse 15. Notice, it, notice what it says in verse 15, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. How many of you are glad God redeems our soul from the power of the grave? That's, that's what Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. That's talking about our spirit and our soul. Now again, our body goes to death till Jesus comes and we get a new, new body, right? Goes to the grave, okay? St Psalm 49 verse 6 says, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches... None of them can by any means redeem his brother. You know, if one of the richest people in the world dies, how much of it are they going to leave behind? All of it. And I don't care how great they think they are, it's all going to stay right here where they leave it. <laughs> I heard this story about this man. He said, he told his wife, he said, uh, I'm putting all my money in the attic, and then when I die, I'm going to go pick it up on the way and take it with me. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so he died, and she went up there, and it's still there. She said, well, you must have went the other way. <laughs> and they're going to leave all their money behind. You know, you can be a, a poor rich man, and you can be a rich poor man. Or you can be a rich rich man, or you can be a poor poor man. See, if you're born again, amen, you're rich in the spirit. So you're a rich man, and if you, if you get wealth, you're a rich, rich man, amen? And if you wake up your brain to what your spirit has, you can get some of those things working in the natural. I like what Jesse said, I've been rich and I've been poor. Rich is better. Okay, all right. But you can be a poor, rich man. There are some people that are not born again. They have a lot of natural wealth, and they're going to leave everything behind, Right? So he, he says, they boast in their wealth and the multitude. None of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give God a ransom for him. You can't pay a price 
They used to have this song when I was a kid. If I had all the money that the world had to give, I couldn't buy one splinter of the cross that Jesus died on. It wouldn't buy one drop of the blood that was shed for my salvation. That was a great song. None can redeem his brother nor give a God a payment for him for the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceases forever that he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he sees that wise men die and likewise the fool and stupid person, that brutish person, you know, perish and leave their wealth to others. Stubborn person. Some people stubborn. It's not good to be stubborn. Okay. The Bible says don't be like that. Their inward thought is their houses will continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names, but... You know, we're just here for a little bit. Nevertheless, man being in honor abides not. He's like the beasts that perish. Their way is folly and their, their posterity is proved. They say things like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death will feed on them and the upright will have dominion over them in the morning. Their beauty will consume in the grave from their dwelling. What he's saying in the day of the resurrection, the upright are going to rule. Hallelujah. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. Thank God. That's a promise of redemption. Amen? Psalm 130, verse 7 and 8 says, Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him there is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. I love this promise of redemption in Psalm 32. Uh, Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 4, but Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. How many of you are glad that all your sins are forgiven? How, how many of you are glad that he made you the righteousness of Jesus? And if we really understand, David got a glimpse of this and he said, the Lord... You know, he, he made us his righteousness, and then he said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute. He's not keeping track. If you're keeping track, you need to tear up that book. Amen? When my parents, when we got in Andrew Womack's meetings, they were about to get a divorce. And so Andrew came out to my house, my parents' trailer house, and he sat down at the table to counsel my parents. And they were having terrible marriage problems. And I'm 14 years old, and they said, does he need to go somewhere? And Andrew's like, I don't know. I don't see why he needs to go anywhere. He can be right here. That's fine. So I'm 14, and they start digging up stuff. You know, they've been married 16 years, two years longer than I lived. They start digging up stuff from right when they got married or before they got married or right after, you know, a year or two after I was born. And I don't even really know what it is, but Andrew's like, stop, stop, stop. He's like, you guys got to get some whitewash and take all the X's off the fence. And listen, if you want to make your marriage work, you got to forget about the past and quit digging up all that garbage and go forward. Amen? Nobody wants all that grief hanging over their head. Hallelujah. I want to tell some people that are keeping all track of their mates' misgivings. It's like, do you want God to do that to you? No. Do you want to go to hell? No. Hallelujah. I don't want to, I, I do not want to go to hell. Do you understand me? I want to go to heaven. 
And I'm glad I'm going. I think I'm on the way, but it's not because I've been a good boy. It's because Jesus was really good. Okay. All right, so we're forgiven. That's, that's a promise of redemption, forgiveness. Praise God. Now, let's go just a little bit farther to Psalm chapter 41, verse 8. This is a promise of protection. Or Isaiah, excuse me. I'm in Isaiah now. Isaiah's written about six or 700 years before Christ, and he says this in Isaiah 41, verse 8. We'll read a few verses. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. You whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and called from the chief men thereof and said, You are my servant. I've chosen you and not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. That's a word for somebody tonight. You don't need to fear. God is with you. Amen? God is with you. Behold all those. Look at this. In verse 11, that were incensed of, against you shall be ashamed and confounded, and they will be as nothing, and they, will not, they that strive with you will perish. And you will seek them and not find them, and even those who contended with you at war against you will be as nothing as a thing and not. For I, the Lord God, will hold your right hand, saying, Fear not, I will help you. Fear not, you worm Jacob and you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now, that's talking about God's protection. Amen? And, and I thank God that we can have God's protection even right here and right now. And the Lord is the one. In fact, I've not, Lawson's not always been the best boy, right? He's not always made every decision right. When we were in Kit Carson, I made some people kind of mad. So I just told them because they were upset about something. I said, listen, if it means this much too, y'all just sell my place and move away. And I went and told Barbara, and she said, you said what? <laughs> you did what? What are you doing? And so I went down to the next town, and there was Assembly of God Church, and they had this guy who was supposed to be a prophet. And I didn't get nothing out of what he said, but he wrote this book. And he gave me this book. This is right after I went and told those people and went and told Barbara, yeah, I told these people that. And And so I went down there, and this prophet wrote down this scripture. And I came back home, and Barbara said, God gave me this scripture. Amen? Hallelujah. All those who were incensed against you will be ashamed and confounded. They will be as nothing. They strive with you, will perish. You will see. And you know, all that stuff just went away. And God just took care of it. God's a good God. Amen? He protects us. Even when we're stupid. Pastor Lawson's been stupid sometimes, okay? Even when we're not the best. Here, here's another one, Isaiah 48, 17. This is just a, a promise of redemption. This is a promise of provision. Isaiah 48, 17. I like this one. I just thought I'd include some of these. How many of you love the promises? He says, thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, which teaches you to profit and lead you by the way that you should go. God teaches us how to profit. How many of you glad that the Lord will teach you how to profit? He's taught me how to profit. And he leads us by the way that we should go. Amen. That's a promise of redemption. Provision is part of redemption. Here's one in Isaiah 49, verse 26, just really close. He says this, I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh. 
and they will be drunk with their own blood as sweet wine, and all flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One. Listen, you better watch who you're fighting. You know, the Bible says, I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And I just tell you something personally. I would not be cursing Israel, and I would not be cursing anybody that I know who knows Jesus as their Savior. You got to watch who you're putting down, and you got to watch what you're sowing. You might reap it. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I was preaching a few years back at Bible school, and I was talking about Israel and God's promise to Israel. You know, there's a lot of people that don't believe that God's going to restore the nation of Israel. They just don't believe a lot of the Bible. Right? They just don't believe Romans 9, 10, and 11. Okay? I'll just use a New Testament one. But there's a lot of Old Testament one prophecies that have not been fulfilled. But as I was preaching at this, one of the students came up and told me, and they showed me a video of the Venezuelan, the head of Venezuela at that time, and he had cursed Israel. They said, this is two years ago, and he is dead. They said, what you're saying is true. <laughs> and there were a lot of people have, have counted Israel out and spoken against them and come against them, and, and, and you know what? They're dead and gone, and Israel lives on. Amen? That's probably enough. I don't want to say too much about that. But this is a promise to Israel, and it's a promise to the people of God. Hallelujah. I love this one in Isaiah, a promise of God's protection. Isaiah 54. Let's go to Isaiah 54. Let's read verse um, Isaiah 54. We'll start in verse 6, and we'll read, or, or verse 5. We'll read Isaiah 54, verse 5 through verse 9. This Isaiah 54 is talking about the new covenant. For the maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, the God of the armies of Israel. Your redeemer, the holy one of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. For the Lord has called you as a woman forsaken, grieved in spirit, a wife of your youth when you were refused, saith God. For a small moment have I forsaken you, but with great mercies will I gather you. Now when... Did God forsake? When did God forsake his people? I want to tell you, he's never forsaken his people. But when Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? David prophesied about it in Psalm 22. A thousand years before he died on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did God forsake Jesus? God forsook Jesus when he was on the cross because Jesus took the sin of the world on himself. For a small moment I've forsaken you, but with great mercy I will gather you. In a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment. When was the moment that God hid his face from Jesus? When he died on the cross, when he became a sin offering for us, when he went to the grave. But how many of you know that Jesus never sinned so the devil didn't have any right to keep him there? So however long it took him to, to conquer the devil, to, to defeat the devil, to win the battle, he rose three days later. And he said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I have the keys of hell and of death. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And then who did he give the keys to? 
He gave the keys to you and I. He gave the keys to the church. So this is talking about Jesus on the cross when he said, in a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. When Jesus took the sin of the world and Jesus dying and going to the grave and conquering him. But he says, I'm going to have mercy on you. He says, for this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for I've sworn the waters of Noah would no more go over the earth. So I've sworn I will not be angry with you nor rebuke you. What's he saying? This new covenant. He's talking about the new covenant. It's like the waters of Noah. How many of you believe that the, the earth will ever be flooded like it was in the days of Noah? No, we don't believe that. Why? Because we see the rainbow and we believe the promise that God made to know that it's never going to happen again. Hallelujah. I love Rachel. I remember a time when she went through a real hard time and she came and she, she if she got one thing in Bible school, she got a hold of this scripture. And, and, and she, she would say this, I know that God is not angry with me. <laughs> I know that God is not angry with me. I know that God is not angry with me. Everybody say, I know that God is not angry with me. Why? Because God poured out all of his judgment and all of his anger and all of his wrath on Jesus. And that's why God is not pouring his anger and his wrath and his judgment out on people who believe on Jesus. For the mountains will depart and the hills will be removed, but my kindness will not, I just went a little farther, not depart from you, neither shall the covenant of my peace, this new covenant be removed. Thank God for this new covenant. Oh, in the old covenant, in the old covenant, God said, if you do this, then I'll do this. But in the new covenant, what did he say in the new covenant? I will remember your sins and I will remember your iniquities no more. I will be merciful to you. <laughs> How many of you are glad he's not remembering our sins? He's not remembering our iniquities anymore. How many of you are glad that he's merciful? He's a merciful God. A lot of people don't understand the mercy of God. Hosea talks about Another promise of redemption, Hosea 13, verse 14. I will ransom you them from the power of the grave. I'll redeem them from death. Oh, death, I will be your plagues. Oh, grave, I will be your destruction. I think we've heard that somewhere, haven't we? Paul says, oh, death. I can hear Paul shouting this at the top of his lungs. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, <laughs> where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul, Paul understood the reality of redemption. He understood the reality of the resurrection. He understood that Jesus is the one who did this. So Isaiah is written about 700 B.C. Hosea is written about 760 B.C. Micah is written about 700 B.C. Micah 4.10 says, The Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. And then we skip a few hundred years. And Jesus is born. And after Jesus is born, his parents take him to the temple to dedicate him. And Anna comes in 
in Luke 2.38, and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise to the Lord and spoke of him to all who look for redemption in Jerusalem. She said, this is him. This is him. Redemption is here. You don't have to wait for another one. You don't have to wait for another time. This is the one. Jesus talked about it in Luke 21, verse 28. He says, when these things begin, men's hearts will fail them for fear, seeing these things that are coming on the earth. When they begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws near. I believe we're living in that day. I believe our redemption draws near. In other words, there's some of redemption, that, right, that's been fulfilled. There's some of redemption that's been done. You know, Jesus, in his, when he came the first time, fulfilled about one-third of the prophecies of the Old Testament. But there's about two-thirds of the prophecies of the Old Testament that are yet to be fulfilled. And this is my question I have to all those people who don't think that God's going to do anything for Israel who don't think that God's going to keep his word to Israel. This is the question I have for them. If God won't keep his word to Israel, why is God going to keep his word to you? The problem with that is you do not believe in the validity and the authority and the integrity of the word of God. Man, when God gives a word, the word goes out of God's mouth and it goes into eternity. And his word produces fruit forever. Forever your word, O oh Lord, is settled in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but your word shall endure forever. Heaven and earth is still here. The mountains are still here. The word of God is still true. He said, my covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone forth out of my mouth for a thousand generations. How long is a thousand generations? Well, that's 40,000 years. It means forever, forever. He keeps his word forever. I personally believe the earth is about 6,000 years old, okay? Now, there's people that have other kind of thoughts, and I'm not going to argue with them about that either. But I personally, that's what I think. Amen. From Adam till now is about 6,000 years. For sure, we know that. Amen. Okay. There's some other stuff. If you have a bunch of questions about that, I can tell you some other philosophies, but I'm going to leave that alone right now. Okay. Thank God. So we have many promises of redemption. There are promises. How many of you are glad we've got promises of redemption? But there's a price for redemption. And what is the price of redemption? What's the price of redemption? Ephesians 1, 7 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. And then he tells us what redemption is, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, according to the ultimate wealth of his grace. Colossians 1, 14 says the same thing, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So forgiveness has already been paid for. It's already been paid for. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to wonder about it. It's already a done deal. It's already a finished thing. Let's look at another scripture, uh, Romans chapter 3. Y'all know Romans 3.23? We're good at Romans 3.23, but let's read Romans 3.24 and 25. I like to read all of them, but 24 and 25, I've got to hurry up. He says here, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sin that are past, I suggest to you, right, this is my interpretation, but I suggest to you that that's talking about the past tense of the cross. And as far as the cross is concerned, all sins were paid for at the cross through the forbearance of God. And I like that where he says the forbearance. In other words, God knew you would do it and forgave you anyway. Aren't you glad? Being justified freely. What, what sin did you commit that the blood of Jesus did not pay for? What sin will you commit that the blood of Jesus has not paid for? There's only one sin, yet the blood of Jesus does not pay for. And that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And if you read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 to 29, it explains what it is. He says, if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. That's verse 26. Now, if you cussed, you did it willfully, but God will still forgive you. Amen? It's not talking about cussing. It's not talking about committing adultery. It's talking about rejecting Jesus. And verse 29 says, Counting the blood of the covenant wherewith you were sanctified, an unholy thing, and done despite to the Spirit of Christ, and trodden underfoot the Son of God. But you have to qualify Hebrews 10, 26 to 29, with Hebrews 6, right? Verse 4 through 6. And you have to have a very close, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus even to be in a place where you could do that. And there's probably not one in a million that would. But it could be a possibility because it's in there. Right? <laughs> All right, I'll stop right there because people have been arguing about that for 2,000 years. They probably keep arguing about it. But anyway, he says we're justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and God sent him to be the payment through faith in his. When you put faith in the blood, the blood of Jesus has already paid for it. Hebrews 9, let's look at this. I don't know if Aaron got to this one yet or not. Hebrews 9, verse 12 to verse 15. Talking about we have a better sanctuary and we have a better sacrifice, the sacrifice of the blood. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once. How many times did he go into the holy place having obtained what kind of redemption? Eternal. I love the scripture Aaron brought out. He's the author of eternal salvation. <laughs> That's a good one. Obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats, these Old Testament sacrifices, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh. They dealt with the outward man. How much shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works. Purge your conscience from a performance mentality. Purge your conscience from a works mentality. Purge your conscience from what you're doing to get your eyes on what Jesus is doing to serve the living God. For this cause, he's the mediator of the New Testament by, by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament. They who are called might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. 
thank God I've got an inheritance in heaven that is undefiled, that is reserved. Praise God. I got an inheritance in heaven that man didn't give me and man can't take away. Peter tells us about it. Praise God. Glory to God. Titus says this in Titus 2, verse 14. It says, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself of people, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Galatians 4, 5 says that he came to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, let me read this one. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll go over to 1 Peter chapter 1. We all need to read this one. Verse 18 and verse 19. And it says, I just quoted, I was talking about verse 4. We have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away, reserved in heaven for us. Who are kept by the power of God by faith to salvation, ready to be revealed. So there's a salvation that we have received. There's a salvation that we are receiving. And there's also a salvation that's ready to be revealed when Jesus comes again. But he says this right here in verse 18. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed. You were not purchased with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain lifestyle, your vain behavior. Conversation is an old English word talking about lifestyle, behavior, citizenship received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The, The blood of Jesus is the price of redemption. So the price of redemption has already been paid. In fact, we're going to sing a song in heaven. It says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, You are worthy, O Lord, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred, out of every family and tongue and people and nation and made us unto God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. So the promise of redemption has been made. Y'all see that? There's many promises of redemption. The price of redemption has already been paid. But what is the power of redemption? Because even though the Father made a promise of redemption, and Jesus paid the price of redemption, the Holy Spirit is the one who works redemption in our life. Amen? And so there is a past tense of the cross. There, it, the, it has been finished. Right? The price has already been paid. The blood has already been shed. By Jesus' stripes, we've already been healed. Amen? But there's also the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who works the power of redemption. And the Bible actually says this in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. After you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now, what's that talking about? My spirit has already been redeemed. My soul, right, is being redeemed. My spirit has already been saved. My soul is being saved. But I trust that my body is going to be saved when Jesus comes again. Because that part of redemption is still yet to come. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee until that happens, until Jesus comes again and puts the last enemy under our feet, which is the enemy of physical death. Ephesians 4.30 says this, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. When you're born again, your spirit is sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
Like when your grandma made peaches. This is the best example I can give. Because I, I, listen, I, I, I was a Pentecostal, right? And the Pentecostals teach that you fall in and you fall out and you don't ever really know where you're at. Right? You, you got one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana peel and you're just hoping to God you make it. Okay, I've been there. Right? But, but really, when you understand what this verse means in Ephesians chapter 1 and this verse in, when it says in, that, that we're sealed, our spirit is sealed. My grandma used to can these peaches, right, in an old mason or cur jar, and she would make those things and cook them up, and, and, and she would seal them. And they'd put them on a shelf in the basement. And you could go get them in five years. You could drop them in a barrel of drain oil. But you could get them out of there, and you could wash them off, and you could wash them off with gasoline, and you could wash them off with water, and then a little soap and water, and clean, and you could open them up, and they would just almost be like the day that she put them in there. And that's how your spirit, your, you know what? We live in a dirty, ugly, sin-filled world, but our spirit has been sealed unto the day of redemption. And the power of redemption is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is living on the inside of us. Now Paul in the book of Romans, in the first seven chapters only mentions the, the, the Holy Spirit maybe once. It could be our spirit. In Romans chapter 1 verse 4, it's probably the Holy Spirit. But in Romans chapter 8, he mentions the Holy Spirit in 12 verses some, somewhere between 17 or, and 19 times. And I just want to read this. In Romans 8, 2, it says, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. How many of you are glad you got the Spirit of life? The same Spirit that raised up Jesus living in you. Romans 8, 4 says, The righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We're following the Spirit. Verse 5 says, those that are after the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit. How many of you mind in the things of the Spirit? Verse 9 through verse 11. Let's go over to Romans 8. We'll just read this really quick. I'm over time, by the way. But Barbara will forgive me because I tell everybody, you got to be done at 8.15. And they got to take up the offering so everybody can get out. But the kids are out of school now. Okay, but I'm not going to go a long time. I promise you. Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 says this. Okay, let's look at verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. And if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raises up Jesus from the dead... You know you have the exact same Spirit in you that raised up Jesus from the dead, quickening your mortal body. By his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
Hallelujah. He goes on down and he talks about this. And he says in verse 16, and the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are. I've got the same spirit raising Jesus from the dead. And he's bearing witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God, even as ornery as I am, even as bad, you know, bad of things have I done. He still bears witness that he, I'm his child. We've got the spirit of adoption, he says in verse, in verse 17. And he, just, he just goes over and over and over talking about the spirit, the spirit of God. He says in verse 15, we receive the spirit of adoption. In verse 23, he says, ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirit are waiting for the redemption of our body. Romans 8, 26 says the spirit helps our infirmities, our weaknesses. When we don't know how to pray like we should, the Spirit makes intercession for us. I'm glad the Spirit is working in us. Romans 8, 27 says, He who searches the heart, I believe that's Jesus, knows the mind of the Spirit. I believe that's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, that He, the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of the Father. So when we look at this, And we talk about the promise, right? And we talk about the price. And we talk about the power of redemption. I'd like to say this. The promise of redemption has been made. And the price of redemption has been paid. Hallelujah. I don't think if I had all the money the world had to give, it wouldn't be enough to buy one drop of the blood that was shed for my salvation. What a song. But the power of redemption, the power of redemption is working in the lives of believers on the earth today. And I'm glad the power of redemption is working. I'm glad the power of redemption is working. I'm glad the Holy Spirit's still moving on the earth. Amen. You see, I, I believe God promised it and Jesus paid for it. But the Holy Spirit gives us the power to receive it. Amen. And if I know what God promised me and what Jesus paid for, then I just let the Holy Spirit work and say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Amen. So he can bring what God promised and Jesus already paid for me to have. I'm not trying to pay for it. I know I can't. Amen. (laughs) I know, man, you know what Lawson would get if Lawson got what he deserved? Lawson would get hell. Amen. You know what the best person that you know would get if they got what they deserved? The best person that you know would get hell. Because you don't get heaven because of what you did. You get heaven because of what Jesus did. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.